Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. For more information, go to www.daniellemckinnis.com or visit www.mckinnismarketing.com.au. Hi, everyone. Today I got to interview um, Dr. Melissa Sanova, and she runs a company called We Are Huddle, which is a service design um, company that really looks at how big corporates are innovating to try and use strategies to deliver better outcomes to customers. And Melissa has a really um, wealth of um, knowledge around service design and customer centricity, so I hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, let's see, how do, we, how do we talk about Huddle? Huddle is a, um, it's a company that helps large organisations um, thrive in the 21st century by using um, strategic design or strategic service design as a way of thinking and a way of doing. Um, the underlying philosophy of, you know, service design in particular, but also strategic design, is um, a fundamental human centricity. So I'm just deliberately use the word human there instead of sort of customer because um, the work that we do is also about how do we help the people within the organisation be set up so that they can deliver on the types of service experiences that they're actually promising in the mar- in the market through their various, you know, brand campaigns and marketing campaigns and, and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the more uh, work that we do in this area, the more we're seeing um, quite a profound shift, I guess, in the questions that um, senior leadership teams are asking about their companies and what they actually stand for in the market, and it's getting... Um, very exciting for people like us because um, they've sort of started asking the right sorts of questions like um, what sorts of value exchanges should we be having with our customers and um, how do we ensure that um, we continue to deliver value to our customers in a way that also makes sense for our business. So it's no longer about um, how do I increase efficiency in my organisation without negatively affecting the customer? Um, it's more future focused and, and generative, mm-hmm. and um, and that's very exciting for a company like ours because um, what we feel like we've been put on the earth <laughs> to do is um, is um, to help large organisations do meaningful work themselves and. So then they can positively affect humanity, starting with the people, the thousands of people that work for them, and then obviously the millions of customers that they can affect the lives of in even sort of minute ways. And, um, you know, human centricity plays a massive part in all of that. Um, and design is a really nice framework to get people working from that perspective. So that's kind of, I don't know, a summary. Yeah, no, that's great. I was, um, I've been reading a bit in this area, particularly about the, um, 
I guess, the customer centricity. But I like how you use human because I think that then encompasses, you know, I guess the employees, it encompasses all the stakeholders, I guess. Yeah. But, but I was listening to, I'm trying to remember, um, it was an author that wrote Reorganising for Resilience. I don't know if you've yep. heard of that book. Um, but what he was saying is that um, there's a big difference between people actually wanting to create value and then having the capability to, to actually do it and deliver yeah. on it. And I thought yeah. that was really, really um, yeah. valuable because, you know, there is a big difference between, you know, talking the talk and actually doing it. And I just wondered what your thoughts were around that. Yeah, so um, from from our perspective, we when, one of the first things that we did um, when we started, which was about 2009, was we created um, what's now, it's almost got a life of its own, but it's called the Flipperoo. And it's it's just a, I don't have one handy, but it's a, it's a communication tool, which we use to be able to describe um, strategic service design, the way that, the way that we see it and when we use those terms, what it is that we actually mean by that. And one side is um, the customer's world, which is inevitably, uh, it's um, emotive and sometimes irrational and um, highly contextual and um, lots of things going on at the same time um, and quite different to the organisation's world, which is actually on the other side, which is uh, designed to be predictable and robust and measurable and, um, you know, you've got a bunch of people following a bunch of processes that are reliant on systems that are, you know, in the context of business drivers within. And they're two very fundamentally different worlds. Mm-hmm. So the, the bit that connects the two worlds is the experience that the customer has with the service or product or whatever the, the exchange is that the, that the organisation is providing to the market. So if you don't, you, you can spend a lot of time describing what the customer's world looks like and is motivated by and the triggers and all of that expectations, you can spend a lot of time there. But if you don't then work within the organisation and do the translation piece, so knowing that um, at this point in the service journey, the customer's motivations are to gain understanding. What does that then mean for the people who are on the phones that are reading scripts, that are trying to do their jobs? So it's that it really is that enabling piece internally with the organisation to get them in a, in a place where they can actually deliver upon those experiences that they most of the time actually genuinely authentically want to be able to deliver Mm. and the things that get in the way of that are those very things that I just spoke about the processes and the systems and and all of that Mm. so you know my perspective on on service design is really it is that constant flipping and we call it an iterative negotiation where you first start with the customer's world and you gain an understanding of their context, you then bring that context into the organisation and gain an understanding of the organisation's context, then you bring that back out into the customer's world and say, working with these, within these constraints, 
what then is the type of customer experience that is going to enable you to do what you want to do and then to bring that back into the organisation and say what are the things that need to change to be able to enable what it is that we've designed together. Mm-hmm. And without that, you know, not bridging it, which I think is really important. Mm-hmm. So who are the, um, I guess you mentioned senior leadership team before, but who are the people that are initiating discussions with you around um, this sort of change within the organisation. How is it bubbling up? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, one of where we started, I'll give you a bit of a progression. I guess where we've started was um, it were the it were the people that were in sort of the mid level parts of the organisation that were either coming from an innovation background or a marketing background or a customer experience background that were interested in not just designing for a particular interaction in a particular moment, but we're more interested in thinking about the whole picture, the end-to-end. Mm-hmm. You know, the person becomes aware and then they find our products and then they use our products or they go through a decision process and they use it and then they seek help and then they exit. Mm-hmm. So what is, how do we design for that entire context? So it was coming sort of at that level when we first started, which is four years ago now. Um, more recently, and I think this is a this is a probably a function of two things. One is the maturity of the market as time goes on, um, and also uh, sort of twenty first century business pressures <laughs> are also elevating the interest level within within sort of the hierarchical organisation. So now we're getting approached by CEOs and. Um, uh, or their sort of their direct report sort of level. Um, I mean, our clients are on our website, so they're you know the blue chip kind of large organisations in Australia mostly. Um, and that's been that's what I was that's how I opened. You know, I just I'm, I'm very hopeful for the future because these quite significant large organisations have now got CEOs that are actually asking these sorts of questions. Um, which is really good. So what do you think they're actually troubled by? Do they see that there's no choice for them? Do they see that they have to become more intimate in that whole journey? Or what's driving them? Well, I think there's one of the things that's driving them is that they actually have a lot of troubles. Um, I think, um, you know, if we think about what's happening... um, in this century, there's um, lots of changes that are happening at the system level to things that we didn't really think were vulnerable, like the financial system or the um, you know governments of of certain countries, um, and these sort of systems that were fine, well-oiled machines that have been running for the past, you know, the, the 20th century are now, um, you know, being pulled apart and falling apart and failing us mm-hmm. in a matter of months, not not years, mm-hmm. you know. And, of course, then what happens is that those sorts of um, shifts and changes of these large systems then create all sorts of market pressures on these really large organisations that present problems that they haven't really had to solve before in those particular combinations. And what's happening is, you know, the, the Einstein's quote is getting 
used all over the place at the moment, which is what I always get it wrong, something about we can't solve the problems with the same thinking that created them. Mm-hmm. So um, what they're seeking now is, okay, so I haven't actually had to respond to these types of problems before. I don't have... I don't have a template that I can I can go back to and say this is kind of like what happened in you know 15 years ago. So they're seeking new paradigms, new frameworks, new ways of approaching problem solving. And this is where the more um, you know divergent I guess um, opportunities that design provides it gives them another framework to consider when making these sorts of decisions. And, um, you know, design is inherently (laughs) human-centred in its approach. Its objective is always in some... It it is in service of something. So um, that's why we're really excited by what we're seeing. So can you give us an example of how a client might have started this process and what sort of resulted for them after going through it? Um, yeah, so um, um, it's always tricky because the work that we do is, I can give a, um, an example of a recent project we did in the personal insurance space mm-hmm. um, where uh, we were approached um, by the distribution part of the business. So this is the sort of the... Um, Sort of sales conversion, I guess, um, part of the business. Um, so the acquisition, customer acquisition. And um, one of their questions was, um, we're in the middle of a large-scale, um, serious IT transformation program, and it's a three-year program and we're halfway through. And um, we're consolidating all of our back-end systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are effectively a house of brands that offers um, different types of personal insurance products to the market. So with the backdrop of um, IT sort of transformation, which is a consolidation, a simplification effort, how then do we deliberately differentiate our services in the market? So um, that that is the, that is an example of a type of question that, that we might get that we then, of course, the way that we answered that is we started with the customers. <laughs> we said, how do you currently experience the service and what do the steps look like and how are you interacting with this company over what channels and how do you pass through those channels and what's working and what's not working and all of that kind of, kind of research. Mm-hmm. To then be able to bring that back into the organisation and say, out of all of the research that we've done, this is kind of your core journey, which is actually shared across a lot of your brands. So if you know that, then you know how to effectively simplify your organisation without having a negative impact on um, your customer base. Um, but then in addition to that, here are the touchpoint patterns or the um, unique pathways that people take with certain brands mm-hmm. that you know you need to be able to design a way to maintain mm-hmm. despite the transformation that's going on. So that, that insight um, gave them a customer-centred framework 
from which they could make strategic decisions about what their service models were. Mm. And I can see how that sort of, like you were saying before, they're looking for that template that they haven't got because there's, yeah. there's nothing there that they had and that's now you're right. providing that template yeah. in some ways. Yes, yeah. that's right. Well, yeah. that's really interesting. The, the, the other thing that I've sort of noticed, and that's really interesting, this this IT equation and how that's creating perhaps some distance for companies and, you know, that, that, that rapid change of um, social interaction and IT. And, and the other thing that I'm sort of seeing is um, nimble, um, you know, companies that are doing small sort of taking small chances or making small bets to change their organisation as opposed to big organisations that take a long time to make that shift. And mm. I think some of them are feeling vulnerable because they, you know, to turn the ship is quite difficult mm. because of all of the incumbent things that they now have. Mm. Um, and I just wondered whether that, I mean, for me, that those sort of three things, you know, customer interaction and this IT and then these other players coming in being able to make and, and address customer needs very quickly and intuitively just by the nature of their size and their you know, flexibility. Mm. I wonder if that's creating this environment for that corporate, um, the, the, that corporate team to look at their strategy and where they're displaced. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the trends that we're seeing um, sort of gaining, it's a bit of a leading indicator, I guess, gaining in, in momentum into the next sort of a decade or so is um, just the the increase in the number of uh, micro-enterprises and um, sole sort of entrepreneurs that aren't necessarily, I mean, there's this mindset that entrepreneurs are these young, funky, kind of web-enabled, you know, <laughs> individuals, but, you know, it's actually, um, it's more pervasive than that. I mean, we have an ageing population that is, um, you know, gaining in terms of, like, increasing in terms of size. We've got an artificial construct around superannuation and retirement, which is becoming sort of less and less relevant to... The, the, the world that we live in at the moment and those people at the age of 65 are kind of well really I've still got another 15 years in me mm. and so there's this there there's also entrepreneurs in in that cohort as well that are also looking at ways of remaining productive in in the in the market so there is this trend of you know big fish little fish kind of thing where there's lots and lots and lots of little fish that are now taking bites out of what would normally be the catch yeah. <laughs> the ocean that the large organisation could feed in. And that is absolutely a, um, a pressure on large organisations. But the other thing that's sort of at play in that is, um, and I guess, you know, sometimes I, I, I sort of sit there and say, if I was a CEO of a large organisation, what would I be doing? Um, in the face of that, and a part of it is um, who's who's going to play the enabler of these little disparate, you know, micro enterprises that are going to be doing the quick, nimble, customer centric, rapid, you know, um, niche service offerings. Who's going to be the one that actually curates, enables, 
and that sort of a background mm-hmm. role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, no one's really thinking like that quite yet, but I feel like, you know, maybe there is an opportunity for for one of the large organisations to not necessarily say, oh, holy moly, this is our end, but to be people themselves and say, okay, well, what role do we have? What 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 is a positive way of looking at our scale in this in this life? And it's sort of almost like, you know, those organisations that have um, taken on crowdsourcing and tried to pull together. Um, mm. uh, I know the Australian company 99 Designs have, have done that quite effectively, taken mm. um, a group and, and pulled it together to create this flexible, creative thing. Which is kind yep. of interesting. So yeah, I agree with you. I think that's going to be really interesting, <laughs> isn't it? It's going to be really huge opportunity. I think if if one you know brave organisation decides to to take it on, but new thinking. Do you see any um, of the roles within larger corporations changing in terms of having someone sit and be the customer? Or play that role inside the organisation in terms of an advocate, or um, you know, is there any sort of movement to try and get closer to the customer that mm. you're seeing? Yeah, there is absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And the different, um, you know, the different organisations we work with are at different sort of stages of maturity around customer centricity. So some are still at the, um, you know, let's have an empty chair at the table of our meetings to ensure that we remember to speak about things from the customer's perspective. Um, some of that, I would say that that was um, sort of, um, I don't want to use the word immature, but just beginning their journey yeah. where they need to make explicit symbols to remind themselves to be thinking from that perspective. Yeah. Um, and then there are others that um, uh it is it is such a part of their their natural dialogue that you don't really come across anybody from any part of the organisation that isn't expressing things from the customer's perspective, and um, that's when things start to get really interesting because uh, traditionally roles have been um, carved out in terms of how close they are to the customer versus how far removed they are from the customer and whose job is it to take care of the customer and whose job is it not to. And there it sort of becomes quite blurry where it's really, it's we're all part of this organisation which is in service of the customer. So it's kind of everyone's job to know, to be able to connect with the customer's mindset and then to, for that to then inform in, in any way, it could be a small, miniature way that it actually affects what you do. You might be, you know, in accounts payable um, and, or doing payroll or whatever. Um, the previous belief was, well, why do they need to know about the customer? Well, I guess then it goes back to this high purpose, like why do you work for the organisation you work for? And what is it that your organisation stands for in the marketplace? And you are a part of that in any small form that you may, you know, you may perform in your job. So we're definitely seeing all in that entire spectrum. I mean, we're even seeing even before the pull a chair out and this is the customer kind of thinking, um, people saying, we've got absolutely no idea who our customers are. 
and I think we, we, we need to know who they are. So we get those sorts of, you know, requests as well. But there's definitely, absolutely a trend towards that. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I wonder whether it comes back to, uh, in terms of their maturity, the culture of the organisation and, and whether the, you know, the senior leadership team have that at their core mm. and that they've actually developed some, you know, a vision or values or something that centres that organisation around the ownership of that customer journey yeah i don't know i'm not sure i don't know where it it sits yeah i think um yeah well i i feel like there's a few schools of thought with this one you know the the bottom up versus the top down and and um what's more effective in terms of you know cultural change or driving strategy or whatever um you know in in my experience um working in this industry, I think if you have a leadership team that is united around a very clear strategy around the customer, that then is is uh, communicated in a way that resonates with the others in the organisation, then it's a, it's a really effective way to bring to the fore the importance of customer, mm. but not without the support of um, the you know the uh, appropriate acknowledgement and and um, incentivising appropriately the people on the front line. Mm-hmm. So part of part of the the work that we do because of that sort of flipping between the two worlds and the iterative negotiation, um, when we bring the customers' context back into the organisation, um, one of the things that inevitably comes to the fore are things around the way that certain um, channels are incented. So you might have call centres that are incented in a certain way to be able to log sales and you've got the online channel which is incented in in a way that directly opposes mm-hmm. that. So you have this, um, because of the way that the incentives are put in place in the, at the organisation's level, you have these service experiences that play out in the market that are, are awful. <laughs> but that's not because the people want to deliver that type of, of experience is because the context within which they do their jobs incentivizes to them to act in that way. Yeah. So the um, the careful design, it's not just about the executives and the senior leadership team standing there and saying, thou shalt and it shall be and we are 100% behind this and all of that. It's not just about that, it's also about, you know, walking the talk and saying, okay, we, we are putting the customer at the front of our minds and, and we are shifting our culture to be in service of the customer. That then means we're going to get rid of, um, you know, profitable income streams that are through, you know, designing our service that causes customers mistakes that we then find them for. We're going to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. You know, making really bold decisions about certain aspects that actually contribute to the bottom line and that takes courage it takes humility you know and these are the sorts of things that we're just beginning to see exist which is lovely yeah it's it's a it's a it sounds like a fascinating 
place to be at the moment in Hull. Yes. And, yes. Um, <laughs> which is great. And look, I really appreciate your time this afternoon. Is there anything that you're reading or working on that you wanted to share in terms of that's sparking your interest? Or it sounds like every day's like that for you. Uh, yeah, it is at the moment. But um, I guess something that we are sort of considering at the moment is a little bit in line with what you said before about the organisation's readiness, you know, when you, when you spoke about reorganising for resilience. Um, there's a lot of talk in the market about service design and design thinking and the talk is really at the, uh, you know, methodology and tools level, this is how you do it, this is what it is. Um, one of the things that we're exploring at the moment is um, and it's not the thinking, it's more the what is your mind, what does your mindset need to be to be able to do the methods and the tools justice, I guess, in a way. Because there are, um, if you bring, for example, a, I have to measure everything that I interact with mindset to um, a divergent design process, is that getting the most out of the intention behind that that part of the the process? And I guess what we're thinking about is what are those what are those mindsets? You know, some, some of the things that we're thinking about is um, the two things that I've already mentioned: the being courageous, um, having humility. Um, having a beginner's mind, so unlearning. I'm learning things. You've had whatever 20 years of experience in the industry that is built on. I make this decision and then this happens. That causal relationship. How do you learn some of that stuff so that you actually have the courage to be able to try a different way of thinking or a different way of doing? So anyway, something to ponder. No, oh, it sounds um, it sounds very interesting. <laughs> So, yeah, look, I really appreciate um, having a chat and I'll put a link to your website um, on this podcast. And yeah, I appreciate your time because you're a busy girl. Okay, not at all. Thanks for the opportunity. Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.